Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. This week, the spotlight is on Dr. Luke Hobson, who is a program manager at MIT and an online instructor at SNHU. He has dedicated his life to online learning and most of all loves to share his experiences with other instructional designers and teachers. He believes in providing new and seasoned professionals with practical applications and tangible skills through the Instructional Design Institute. Dr. Hobson has designed courses for professionals from all walks of life, from engineers at NASA to busy moms and dads. He believes in following universal design for learning as a framework to overcome barriers and provide flexibility. He cares deeply about providing the most value through the online learning experience and providing every opportunity for students to learn. With a background in graphic design and marketing, Dr. Hobson is a doctorate in educational leadership. His research and specialization is focused on online millennial generation students and how they perceive their relationship with online academic advisors. As teachers look to transition into instructional design, they bring many key skills that give them a leg up compared to other transitioning professionals. However, there are some gaps that need to be bridged as well. Listen as Dr. Hobson talks about this and uncovers key areas that are in demand in the current job market. He provides an opportunity to upskill designers through the Instructional Design Institute and shares a success story like no other. Navigate to his website for additional resources on instructional design, access to the Facebook community, and quick steps to take your craft to the next level. Follow his blog and podcast for informational nuggets. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Luke Hobson. Dr. Hobson, thank you for joining me for this episode of Redefine Instruction. I'm so glad to have you. I've been looking forward to this all day. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So Dr. Hobson, for the sake of the listeners, would you take a few minutes to talk about your journey in instructional design and how you came upon this career and where you're at? Of course. So my journey, like everyone else's, is kind of strange. We all accidentally fell into instructional design somehow, some way. And my journey really started off is that I was an academic advisor at Southern New Hampshire University. And during this time frame, I started to help out thousands of students within both the undergraduate and the graduate programs. And I really get to see firsthand what students were going through with online learning, which I took online courses before, but being able now to speak to them and try to figure out about how to remove barriers, how to help with time management, how to get around difficulties with course navigation and all those different elements was just so different and 
eye-opening and it had me really start to think more about like, well, someone's building these courses. Like, who is it? And as I was working at that university for a period of time, I ended up meeting some of those instructional designers through coffee chats and networking. And I really wanted to get over into this field, but I really couldn't figure out how to do so in an easy manner. I kept on applying. I got turned down. I think I got turned down at least nine times for an instructional design job. And eventually, this other role that SNHU opened up called Creative Resources Manager, where they wanted somebody who had a background in graphic design to build out these private courses with the online writing center, the peer tutoring center, and then to build out these online learning communities for around 60,000 students or so at the time. And I just so happened to have a background in graphic design. That was my bachelor's. And I decided to you know, go for this one. Ended up working out, and I started to get a bit of a taste of instructional design. And then finally, my first real title with instructional design came at an opportunity at Northeastern University. So that's how I kind of got started in the field. All right, wonderful. What what a unique journey that you have. And I think all of us have this unique path that we've carved out. Nobody starts out with a college degree and says, I want to be an instructional designer. It's just so, you know, it's so intriguing to hear all of these stories about how people kind of fell into this career. So from what I understand, um, you now teach and mentor students to be designers. So my, my, my question is for those, you know, in, in this current mark, market with being, you know, in on the I would like to say the tail end of the pandemic, but I'm not quite sure we are there yet. Um, but, uh, you know, the demand for learning has increased um, tremendously, and especially the e-learning perspective of it, right? And so, so this particular industry has become lucrative for new professionals who are looking to transition over, especially teachers who have at least part of their skill set, right, that, that overlaps with the instructional design. So, um, I'm kind of interested in your perspective of what is what is some of the biggest advantage that teachers bring or people who have been in the curriculum instructional background, what do they bring to this career that kind of overlaps and sets themselves sets them at a at a advantages point to start this career out? Of course. So there is, and I'll preface this, and I know we're probably going to go into this conversation a bit more because there are certainly other elements that typically don't come up. But for the very first starting point of everything, and typically I've had a, so many different types of you know Zoom calls of folks when someone says like, I'm thinking about going into instructional design. Uh, I have been a teacher for a number of years. I have a bachelor's in education or a master's potentially. You know, what do I do? What's my first steps? What, you know, it kind of exactly what you're talking about as far as you're trying to first identify the strengths and then to build off from there. Right. And the first is that typically, you know how people learn which is obviously a humongous component as far as for our job. We are essentially designing the learning experiences and taking what we know about how people learn and then working with other people as far as for subject matter experts, faculty, professor, and so on, collaborating with them and then putting everything all together. So typically what I'll hear from talking with the teacher is that they already know about curriculum design. That's been something they've done and lesson planning. And also thinking too, they don't call it course mapping, but it's a 
essentially course mapping as far as for being able to detail and talk about what we're going to do in week one. How do we end up in week 16? But of course, what are the course outcomes? What are the learning objectives? And how does it really align? And what are students really doing to demonstrate and to show that they have actually accrued and built this knowledge? So from a teacher standpoint, that is the strength that you want to build on. Now, the thing is, is that that is just one part of instructional design. Right. So that is like, yes, hold on to that, study that more, definitely go and you most likely have focused around everything as far as for with uh, pedagogy. Now, depending upon where you go and what you do, you might be thinking a bit more about andragogy and you're trying to think more about how adults learn, which is, I don't want to say completely different because that is not true, but there are different types of barriers that adults face that children don't face. So you need to figure out how to overcome those barriers as well. But I mean, a lot of teachers too, they know about UDL. They know about project-based learning. So like right. they have these different tips and tricks and ideas, but they may not describe them in that manner. So it's important to recognize those types of abilities first. Right, right. And throw in the aspect of Bloom's taxonomy that they're very sure. familiar with and the levels of learning that we talk about in day in and day out in instructional design. So you kind of delved a little bit into, into the opposite perspective that I wanted to go in. So can yeah. you explicitly identify some of the gaps that not just teachers, I mean, and even for, from new professionals, uh, professionals aspect, like what are some of the big gaps that they need to bridge? They have this construct, you know, this, this curriculum background, what next? Like what is, what are the things that they need to work on? Totally. So the way that I describe it is that there are essentially four, there's, there's four quadrants in my brain as far as to what do instructional designers do now being a learning expert is one of those parts, which is great. But then also you need to be able to be a project manager day in and day out. I am communicating with everybody talking about what exactly I am doing, where we are at in the course process, talking about deadlines. Are we staying within budget? Is somebody giving us a hard time or being like a red flag or holding us up? Because my official title at MIT is not instructional designer. It's actually program manager because I'm the one managing the online programs. So that is a humongous component about it is that project management, that program management aspect to it. But then comes also the relationship management part of that one. I feel to my core that as instructional designers, we have to work with SMEs. We have to work and collaborate and communicate with other people. You should not be designing a learning experience on your own. I know some people unfortunately have to do that. They have gone through that. They have budget constraints. Somebody quits unexpectedly. Like there are those not so great scenarios, but typically speaking, you are not supposed to know everything about the subject matter that you are building around. I mean, I have courses on 3D printing, AI, cybersecurity. I'm not the guy for that. Like there's no way. So I need to work with somebody in order to really understand what students should be learning about in order to put that together. And then finally, the fourth part is research. I think that we really are researchers and being able to first identify what's the problem that we're trying to solve. That We don't go into this type of work just basically saying like, oh, I'm just going to design this course because it's fun and this course because it's great. Like, no, it's not how it works. We have to be something that we're trying to identify as far as what problem we're trying to solve, who is our target audience, why are we really making this, what are the outcomes, what are the expectations? So you put all four of those things together and then that, in my mind, is an instructional designer. So learning is one part, but then you have three others that you really need to know about. 
Right, right. And, and I think one of the biggest gaps, keeping teachers in mind, a lot of them are SMEs or subject matter experts plus the designers together, right? Yes. They're designing the curriculum yes. and they're familiar with that subject matter. But as an instructional designer in higher ed or in the corporate sector, your subject matter expert is a whole other job that is separate from um, an instructional designer. And having a good relationship to pull that information out is a key aspect of that instructional design's uh, job. Completely. You need to right. be able to know how to influence, how to negotiate, how to persuade. Those are things, those people skills, those human skills, whatever you want to call it, that that's never talked about in any school or, or training or whatnot is like, no, you're going to have somebody who firmly believes that they are right and they don't report to you. They right. don't report potentially to your department. This is somebody who you've hired or somebody who you have been told you are working with, especially in the higher education world. There are some times where you're building out a program and you're like, okay, who should we get to talk about this program with us? Oh, here is this person that has 30 years of experience on research on this topic. They're the ones we need to work with. And that's it. You know, there's there's no huge uh, funnel of people we could pick from. Right. So you need to be able to figure out how to navigate those conversations and how to make the project go correctly. Right, right. And 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 the persuading aspect of it is is there's no handoff that happens. Like you said, this is the person, right? There's no formal introduction. You're just given an asset. And a lot of times that asset or that SME might be resistant to the whole aspect of instructional design. And you have to overcome that resistance to be able to build that course. And that's a key aspect of design. So let's pivot the conversation to what are organizations looking for? So I know that you have considerable exposure where corporate sector is concerned, as well as higher ed. Talk to me about what are some of the skills that organizations are looking for in an instructional designer's role? Of course. So uh, we definitely talked about that one. For working with SMEs, by far, no matter where you go, what you do, you're going to have an interview question that essentially just talks about how do you work with others. And essentially for the higher education piece too, is how do you manage those relationships with folks that you know have quite a bit of power because they've been there for a period of time. So if potentially you step on their toes and you ruin that relationship, that may actually damage the reputation of your department as far as for working with somebody. So clearly that is going to be one that people keep on constantly um, talking about. One of the things I've been hearing about lately though, which I am really glad to be hearing about this because it wasn't a conversation for the longest time and it's come up in a few recent conversations though, is how do you actually evaluate the effectiveness of a course? which I really was like, yay, finally, we're, we're, we're turning that corner. We're going to talk right. about how do you actually know if this is truly working? And that kind of goes into that whole research part of that quadrant is being able to collect, to analyze, to apply student feedback and data and being able to really figure out all of those different components too. So I'm kind of surprised actually, but that's been popping up lately, but really happy about that. <laughs> right, right. And there, that's that whole aspect of application-based learning, right? Yeah. And they apply what they learned. Um, and then also the, the levels of learning, right? Where, where in a school system, you might be looking for immediate impact, which is your level yes. one. But then in the industrial sector, you're looking for level threes or fours, even for that matter, that is it translating into performance or not? So let's talk about the job market. Um, sure. Where do you think the demand for instructional designers is at the moment? Is it in the healthcare industry? Is it in higher ed? Like what, have, what, what are some of the trends that you've seen? 
Certainly. So, so since the pandemic, which of course, I'm going to preface this, pandemic is awful, horrific, not good. For our field, though, it is a game changer. It has completely changed the way that people have perceived and think about which is online learning and and training um, in general, which is really quite shocking given that instructional design has actually been around since World War II. It's like the the first um, recording of that one by trying to be able to train the troops in a massive type of a capacity. And now here we are in 2021 and saying like, hey, (laughs) we still need this, but now we're finally going to focus on it quite a bit more. So as far as for the sectors, I mean, it really has been all of them. If you are on LinkedIn jobs or Indeed or Glassdoor or any of those job websites, and you just have like a um, notification set up as far as for an alert for when a job pops up. I mean, I'm getting pinged constantly because I'm trying to keep tabs on, you know, who's hiring and what's going on. And Every type of institution within higher education you could possibly think about, they're hiring up a storm. So are OPMs now more than ever, because they are going to be the ones who are trying to be able to help assist with being able to bring some more people power to the project because they understand that a lot of places are understaffed, but the demand has never been higher. So a lot of those organizations, same thing too. Like they they literally can't keep up with the hiring. It's like the postings have been so nuts from uh, think of like two you I design emeritus uh, six red marbles uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of them that right now to see postings for them every single day and then same thing too talking about for the corporate sector I have seen every company that you think about is hiring for an instructional designer including Apple Google Twitter Tesla Reddit Netflix uh, you know you name it so They're it's across all, the board it's, all it's not them. just one single sector it's no. so it's booming universally. Booming. Because, or for you know, for what, for good or for worse, yes. because of the <laughs> pandemic. Okay, yes. so so I know that there's a lot of companies who kind of position the design positions um, in a very very unique way, right? Some of them kind of segregate the e-learning and the curriculum design segments of it, right? Um, is one role um, gaining more traction versus the other, or is it? Is it the 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 entire width, right? There's there's some companies that package the role together, right? You have yeah. to be a curriculum designer, a project manager, and an e-learning designer. Whereas there are some that segregate those three single segments. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, is it just one or one or two elements of that role that are gaining traction, or is it the whole package, right? There, people are demanding the entire package. From what I've seen, it's been everything. And unfortunately, the thing that makes it so confusing is when the employer misidentifies what they're looking for, which is always such a problem is that you're reviewing a job posting, let's say that it it calls out for instructional designer, perhaps. But then as you're going down and you're reading about it, you're like, actually, this is basically a learning experience designer, which is very similar. I understand. But when you're reading it and you're like, Mm, it's a little bit different compared to say somebody who they want them to come in and essentially run the learning management system for them, but they call it an instructional designer. You're like, I mean, tech, no, it's not like, yes, I am physically building the courses and putting them in the learning management system and helping you to run the courses. That's really not what instructional design does as well. So I have seen it all with some people being incredibly specific, which is wonderful, but they clearly are calling out like, you know, senior instructional designer level two in order to do X, Y, Z, which is fabulous. But then other times it's, it's just trying to catch them all. And they're just throwing everything in there. And as you're reading it, you're like, no one has this skill set. 
You know, right. no one is going to come in with all of these different learning strategies in mind and is also a master coder and also can, you know, has been teaching for 20 years. And so it's just, yeah, right. some of them right. are just nutty. So really, so, so the idea is that one should, so what I'm hearing from you is that read the position description carefully yes. and see what sticks out to you, right? It, it might not be explicitly stated, but it might be 80% of the role leans towards project management or LMS management or instructional design. So mm -hmm. really dive, don't, don't stop at the, at the, at the role itself, go dive deeper into the yes. functions that they're asking for, the KPIs that they're looking for, right? Essentially. Exactly, exactly. Because as, as soon as they start talking about like instructional design models, you're like, okay, I think I'm on track. You're, you're calling out backwards design or Addy or Sam or whatever. I was like, all right, I'm starting to follow along. I mean, you can kind of like start to trail and see exactly where everything is going. And yeah, there may be a thing or two where you're like, yeah, that really doesn't apply. But at the same time, I know that and every hiring manager will tell you is that they're literally just trying to get the very best possible person where they're just asking for a ridiculous list of demands, but they don't expect. There's not going to be, most likely, there's not this magical unicorn out there who knows everything there is to know about instructional design and online learning, but they're going to try. Right, right. <laughs> but they want to they want to envision utopia as much as they can, right? Yes. So, um let me so we've talked about gaps, we've talked about strengths. Let me ask you, so for someone who's 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 a new professional looking to upskill themselves through the Instructional Design Institute, hmm. how are you helping people bridge the gap, especially for new professionals? Like what are some of the things that I can look forward to learning from the Instructional Design Institute to be able to upskill my myself with the demands of what the organizations want. Sure. So how this all kind of, I guess I'll only, let me start by saying how this all started. This is just such a wacky thing. That'd be awesome. Yes I'm, yes. I'm still baffled. I am talking to someone about how this was created. Like this is such a mind blowing thing. Essentially how this all began is that I made a blog in 2019 to describe what I was doing as an instructional designer. I started to find out that what I was talking about was picking up a bit of traction and it was way easier compared to going into different Facebook and LinkedIn groups and trying to answer the same questions every single time, which I kept on noticing the same things over and over and over again. So I just started writing blogs, essentially addressing the questions. Then from there, I was like, oh, I, I want to do a bit more. What else could I do? And I already had two podcasts before in the past. So it was natural to say, oh, let me just try to do a podcast and see what happens. Uh, to my surprise, people actually downloaded and listened, which was also like hmm, quite shocking. You're actually listening to me. And was like, I did not think that something so nerdy would capture someone's attention for you know an hour an episode it's like oh, this is kind of interesting uh, right. and the more and more awesome guests who kept on coming on more i was like sweet let's let's keep on going from here but then unfortunately that's where i faced this roadblock because then people were saying great what's next and I, I didn't have a next. I was like, mm. I'm done. <laughs> you you have the podcast. You have my my words in the blog. We're good. And uh, essentially, like, no, like I, I still want to learn more. What can I do next? And then that's when I started to look elsewhere to see like, well, what other opportunity can I send you to? And at first I was sending folks to, uh, you know, go back to school for a degree, go get a certificate, go do something, but traditional type of, I'm an academic. So of course right. my academic brain was like, oh, go back to school. And then eventually I was like, well, that's not right for everybody. Potentially it's not going to help them. It could cost too much money. I was like, no, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not the right way of doing it. And then other than that, a lot of it was based for corporate learning, which even though I have some elements of that, I am not going to claim and 
corporate is my jam. So I was like, uh, okay, great. Now what? So instead that's when I was like, well, if I make something, you know, I'm going to do a pilot program to see if anyone actually participates, if it gains any traction, then, Hey, maybe we'll, we have something here. And that's what ended up happening is that I did a pilot program with 25 people who all ranged at very different levels of experience. As far as for instructional design, some have been doing it for far longer than I have. Others are brand new to the field and others are just kind of curious. And we're like, you know, I don't know. Let's see where this goes. Right. So after that pilot program, everything honestly went well. And that's where all the ideas came from, going back to answering your question about trying to bridge those gaps, is that I didn't know what courses to start with. I was like, well, I'm going to build something with community and with coaching. That that I can figure out. But what courses do you want to learn about? Where where do you want to kind of go with this? So all of the course topics actually came from the students within there. So that's when folks were saying like, hey, you do podcasts for your courses. Can you teach me how to do that? I'm like, yeah, I can I can build a course on how to design podcasts specifically for online courses. If you want to know about, about UDL or SBL, like, yeah, we can go into there. Um, same thing too about how to actually go and revise an online course, especially with this whole remote learning fiasco where there was like, you know, the emergency two-week to three-week learning that the entire world essentially faced of taking face-to-face and then throwing it online and hoping that some of it, it resonated with students, right? Yeah. So I had a lot of people... Um, afterwards, and this kind of goes into like, you know, who's in there now is that I have quite a mix of people where some of them are college instructors who are saying like, my course was just not where it needed to be. Can you tell me how to actually make this a bit better? Because I predict we're going to be in online learning for a while, which, you know, we have been. <laughs> so that, that definitely still holds up. And then others as well, too, who can say like, you know, I can go and buy a book on um, Addy or, you know, or UBD or anything like that. Like I can go and find a free resource on that one, but I need someone to then to be able to kind of see what I'm doing, you know, give me some feedback and some coaching along the way. And then of course, I just want other people to actually be, I didn't want it just to be me, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of boring. I wanted this to be other people and other perspectives. So that's how the community kind of came into everything. It's a very long answer to your question. I'm no, sorry. No, actually <laughs> I, I am, I am glad you opened the door to my next question. Okay. So, so, you know, you offer a, a lot of pillars of support through your programs, right? So you, you are, so what I'm hearing is not just new professionals have something to look forward to. You have something to offer in terms of mentoring and coaching for even the, the people who've been doing it for a while, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I want to kind of open the door to what courses you offer. But even before that, I want to talk a little bit about the pillars of support. You mentioned the community, right? The Facebook yeah. group that you have, mm-hmm. but you also have something called monthly memberships um, and and a blog and a podcast. Can you talk a little bit? So it's not just a universal design where one size fits all, which kind of goes into the design element of it, right? You don't want to just give one type of learning, but you are offering so many different elements. Can you talk a little bit more on what you offer to, to people looking to learn? Yeah, of course, because everyone has a different preference as far as for what they need. And sometimes, you know, time is that factor. Other times they already have the experience or they're like, you know what, I'm good to go. So I have some folks in there who just, they want to go through the course. They want to take all of the activities and exercises, send them over to me. And then I essentially give them feedback. Like I would teach them as far as for any of the other courses that I actually teach. Uh, So it's kind of like that part as far as for being support. Others are saying, hey, I need one-on-one calls. Like, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Can you try to, you know, do something? It's like, okay, sure. Uh, other times we do different forms. Uh, we have so many uh, Q and A calls per month where if you just want to drop in, it's, a, you know, it's essentially like office hours. It's a drop in session. Come on in ask whatever questions are potentially on your mind. If you want me to tell you about what I'm currently doing, which is really a cool part of everything is sharing the practical advice about just what I am doing with my courses in real time. And then sharing some of those strategies, not the the content, but it's more about like, oh, how did you overcome this barrier? How did you make sure to actually fit within this deadline when this massive red flag appeared, but you still found a way to do it? It's things like that that can really help somebody as far as with their job or an interview or something like that, where you're not just talking about theory. You can actually right. say like, hey, I have a real example <laughs> where right. this happened, this SME refused to do something, this file became corrupted, and we can talk about backup ways uh, in order to make all of that happen. So there's all those different things. I mean, you mentioned about the community too, where folks have definitely gravitated towards others because some who have been, you know, same thing. Like if they've both been teaching for 10 years, they definitely bond like, you know, super easy to do. Other times people are saying like, Hey, I'm brand new to this. I, I want to hang out with other newbies and be able to connect. Um, and others have also been willing to um, also have just kind of same thing of one-on-ones. Of Once again, great to hear my perspective, but I want you to hear more. So other times folks have connected with one another to do their own like mini mentorship, I guess I'll right. call it. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's really a, cool. And I ways. think that, that, that go, I don't, I don't know about other designers, but I enjoy designing as a group, right? As a team, you are so much ah, more stronger, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and that community element element brings that out is that, you know, two heads are better than one, or maybe a community sure. is better than just me singing, sitting in isolation and designing. So um, talk to me about the courses that you offer. I know you mentioned briefly a couple courses that you have taught, you've designed and you're, you're working, you're offering through your institute. Tell mm -hmm. me the width of the courses that you're offering so that it's not just the new designers. You're, I want no, to showcase something no, to the yeah. veterans, right? You have it's, something to offer for each of those groups. So talk to me about those. Exactly. And I think I am getting more of those folks actually now like I'm thinking about it which is kind of interesting because there's there's a lot out there for newbies which is great and I will certainly you know if you want because like so right now I'm currently building um, two courses this month that talk about just essentially the basics of backwards design which is like tried true and standard and also about how to build a portfolio because I've been asked that now like 20 times and I'm like, I'm just going to make a resource for you. So we'll make a course on it and we'll, you know, there you go. But for most of the part, I really like to dive into the nerdy part of instructional design. So doing elements of scenario-based learning and project-based learning, universal design for learning, uh, making podcasts for courses is something that a lot of people don't do, which I do for all of my real courses, which has been something that's been so um, fascinating to hear about the student feedback as far as for how they've been perceiving all of that. But also courses too, as far as for even with there's an entire course on networking, like what instructional designer goes out of their way to try to network with people. Not, not many of them. And then of course, now that this has happened with this type of world where, you know, where we're now at home, there's no more conferences. Well, they, right. they went virtual, but for a while there was nothing. So people were like, uh, do I join a group? Do I use LinkedIn? Do I, what do I do? So I ended up making a course just on how I built my network over the years. And I share those tactics and I also make them do like, you know, practice activities where you really do go and reach out to live people and use some of the things that I mentioned about where like, you know, I include scripts 
notes in there about what to say and do just as like not sound like a robot and also not to sound weird because you're trying to connect with people on the internet which i know is like <laughs> some people are like oh, i don't know it's good you know it's a stranger and like i don't, I don't know so it, it's just kind of funny how those are the courses that started to appear yeah yeah so that's been interesting to interesting, see interesting. that development of things right and and um you know like you said the in-person events were kind of the the networking the community building aspect before this whole thing happened in march of 2020 um but but from a learning standpoint and from my experience uh, you opened the door to community so i'm going to dive a little bit deeper yes in there. Please do. Please do. so there's there's also some you know, some research to the theory of community building where learning is concerned, right? There's that whole theory of the 70% of the learning takes place with meaningful job interactions. On the job is where your 70% of the learning is taking place. And from that perspective, a lot of organizations are looking to build websites or, or community sites, something similar to Facebook, right? Where, where they pull everybody together and they kind of, it's not just seat learning, but everybody's learning from each other. And you've you've done you've done that in two separate parts of your career. You've done that when you were starting out as an academic advisor, where you had those 60k students and you were building that community. And even now in the instructional design community, your your, your instructional design institute, you're doing it. Talk to me about how how has the comparative learn like how has the community ta- I know you said there there's like mini mentorships that have happened yeah. right yeah. that's one element of it but how how is that unique element um, you know fitting into the entire map of of learning right your your learning is not one one and done it's mm-hmm. it's it happens at different points in time but how does that community feed into that learning aspect what are some of the things that you have seen and would you promote community-based learning oh for sure for sure that's an easy one to answer yes <laughs> i would certainly recommend that and even if we step back for a second we don't think about it from like academic terms. Think about whenever you are trying to do something, what is going to hold you accountable? Most likely it's a group of friends or colleagues or someone going in all together with you. And it's the same, just like how somebody is just like, oh guys, we're going to do this 5k together, you know? And then sure enough, you end up training with friends and you talk to them every day. And you you then go and use your Apple watch and being able to log your different types of, you know, fitness paths and share it with other people. And it's the same thing for learning. Like it, it all is the same thing as far as for, you don't want to be alone. You want to learn with others. You you don't want to have this type of isolation and then not being able to, of course, then talk to somebody about what you're learning. But you know, I mentioned about building a network, which has been so fabulous to, to do, but also trying to have that in a community where you are making more friends and colleagues. And then eventually these people are the ones who you want to explore opportunities with, where if you do feel stuck in a project and you want to talk to somebody, you know, the people who I've met on Facebook groups ended up becoming like real lifelong friends where we'll talk about that. We'll talk about next steps in careers. We'll talk about facing different types of barriers or like, you know, I'm really stuck in this course or even just, you know, I want to look and use a different type of resource that I, I, I just don't know. So I asked the community to say, Hey, tell me, which is, you know, one of the posts the other day is that someone was asking about, uh, e-learning authoring tools, but they wanted to be able to build with speed and make sure that it still looks 
and you know feels like an actual professionally developed tool so he's like so what will get this done i'm not looking for somebody to go in and spend six months learning about a tool so like you know what can i actually use and then sure enough people were chiming in and you know i threw my my uh my answer in there as well too so those are all those different elements that really do help out and especially for nowadays we all have experienced some form of a mental challenge burnout you know whatever you want to call it and same thing too. The community will pick you up. If you're down, if you've been applying for jobs for, you know, I mentioned how I applied like nine different times. People are still facing that now more than ever because now, of course, there are so many people applying for instructional design jobs. So yes. after the 10th interview where you get denied, like, yeah, that's that's a bummer. <laughs> like it, it hurts. So you want to be able to confide in other people and talk to them and then be able to get some of their tips about, hey, can you look at my resume? Can you listen to me answer a question and tell me, am I saying the right things? Can you send me some resources on best interview protocols and tips, you know, things of that nature, you put those all together. And that's going to certainly help someone succeed compared to just learning on your own. Right, right. And that's kind of how I found you, right? <laughs> the community, yeah, exactly. LinkedIn exactly. community, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's one person meets the and and you end up being friends because you have the same interests, you have right. the same, you speak the same language, you face yeah. the same challenges, right? So, okay, so he, here, I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit. Um, mm. We are talking about the Instructional Design Institute. Um, why can someone, and, and I know the answer to this, but I want to hear your perspective. Sure. So why can someone not go to a university? University and get the same information that they're getting from the Instructional Design Institute. Certainly. So there's a, quite a few differences. I'll, I will say too, I'll preface it by saying, I am not against it. If that is the best decision for you, if you want to go do that, that's fine. There's a bunch of people who actually do both, which is mind boggling where I'm like, wow, you want to learn that much information? Like <laughs> hats off to you. That's fantastic. Right. So that, that's definitely a possibility. What I've seen from just the 7,000 Facebook posts that I keep on seeing over and over and over again is that unfortunately somebody goes for an instructional design degree. They end up just taking all courses on learning theory. There's no practical application. They don't walk away with building out a, a portfolio, a website, focusing on developing their own personal brand, which is huge is what you should be walking away with at the end. And they Form of a design role. So if they don't do that for you, then essentially you just wasted time, energy, thousands of dollars, and then you feel stuck. And I hear all the time of somebody going through that, then they realize like the final semester where they're like, wow, I didn't learn what I needed to know. I'm looking at job postings. My skill sets don't match up to what they're trying to look for right now in the workforce, like help. And that's where things really, you know, start to hit the uh, rubber hits the road, but they're trying to figure out like, what do I do next? And sometimes I'll reach out to their professors and whatnot, try to get support. Um, unfortunately, I've heard a lot of horror stories where it doesn't go well. The professor swears they're right and the organization is wrong. And just like, you know, the academic kind of blah stuff that, that we oh, all wow. despise, you know, right? So instead, that's kind of where it's just like, oh, okay, you can spend $40,000 on a degree. There are some amazing ones out there. And for those ones, you know, I love them. Fantastic. There's also some eh, not so great ones. And if you don't want to go down that path yet, and you don't want to commit to spending that much money, and if you would rather have something that's more of like this one-on-one -on -one feel with the community aspect, and just to be able to ask somebody, 
whatever questions you might actually have about the real world of instructional design, it makes far more sense to do something that is a typical monthly subscription, like everything else that we have that has a monthly subscription to it, which I feel like is um, everything nowadays is that instead of the the lump sum, it's just like, oh, I'll pay per month. If it's but for I, me, I cool. Think it's, it's, it's not that draining on resources, right? You, no, you, not at all. You have a small sum, you get to test it out. If it doesn't work out, hey, it was good seeing you. Yeah, uh, right. If not, no hard then feelings. You know, we can it's have okay. a long-term commitment. Right. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, thank you for bringing up that monthly subscription aspect, because that's, I think, a very unique um, way of offering just in time learning. So so what I'm hearing is just in time learning. You are you are solving problems in real time and and meeting them where the needs are, because because it's kind of unique how you pilot tested the whole Instructional Design Institute. And Mm -hmm. and then this was the outcome of it. Right. You crowdsourced it and and you basically are meeting the audience where the gaps are. Um, So one final question, Dr. Hobson, Mm -hmm. Um, talk to me about a success story that sticks out to you, whether that's a a veteran designer or a new designer. I leave that up to you. No. So I will actually tell you the story about the first student because it still is like my favorite story because once again, had no plans on doing this. She kind of changed my mind where I'm like, "Mm, okay, maybe I should look into this one. And I don't think she would mind if I said her name. Her name is Saida. And she reached out to me. She found me on LinkedIn. Same thing of how networking found me on LinkedIn, end up following the blog and the podcast for a bit and just reached out one day saying, Hey, I'm an advisor. She had a type of an advising role. And she's like, you know, a similar background to what you went through. You were able to make this transition. I'm really thinking about giving this a go. I'm wrapping up my education soon, but just like, I need a bit more help and I think I can get there. Do you mind doing, uh, you know, a zoom call with me? It's like, yeah, sure. So we go on the call and we just kind of talk about like the typical day in the life of an instructional designer. So I end up talking about just my experiences as far as for actually doing some of the instructional design models. I showed some of the maps as far as for like, how do I outline courses? And then like, what's the final product look like? What is the student experience? What's the actual journey? What are they doing? When, where, why, and how? And just talking about those different forms of uh, models as far as for everything within the course. She ends up applying for a role, gets one interview, calls me immediately and says like, oh my gosh, I have an interview. Now what? I'm like, oh wow. Now what do we do? Okay, cool. Let's figure this out. Cause like, it felt like I was going back for the interview where I was like, okay. I'm like, what questions would I ask if I wanted to hire you for my team right now? So we like, we wrote them down. We started answering the questions together. And then she got the second interview and then the third interview. And she had a a panel interview, um, which was like, just so uh, the, the panel interviews, I have very weird feelings about because sometimes you have the right people in the right room and it's awesome. And then other times you get some person who just asks like a ridiculous question and you're like, why, you know? Uh, but luckily she had everything as far as her great experience going through everything with the interview and then ends up calling me later on. And she's like, I got the job. And I was like, oh, wow. you got the job. <laughs> like, I was just like, now what? I mean, like, and instantly I was just like, negotiate your salary. I'm like, whatever offer they give you, I'm like, you push that back. You know, like instantly it was this like going into just, you know, job life advice mode where I was like, here's everything I know. I'm like, please just go and like make this your dream job. Uh, and she's still at that organization after that year or so. And then essentially working with her, we then started to, and she was in the pilot program. Um, and it's worked with her one-on-one to say, like, I'm designing all the courses, please go through them. You know, tell me like, what else can we do? What can we make them better? What would actually click for you? Do do I need to include 
you know, download takeaways, additional resources, you know, like whatever it is, let's, let's figure it out. And, uh, really her success is what made me try harder to say like, okay, I think I am not going to give up on this idea. And if I can try to do that, which I don't promise to, you know, always get new people a job. It's not my agenda going in here. It's just to help right. people learn Setting about instructional design. Exactly. Doing. Yes. Exactly. So it just happened that way. But every time people take what I give them and they bring them to their organization or their wow. university, which is also happened quite a bit. So, wow. yeah. Well, yeah, thank so you for sharing that success wild. story. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just going to end it with if people need to find you, Dr. Hobson, where can they find you and, and you know, kind of ask you questions or maybe register for your co- courses and all of that good stuff? Of course. Yep. So you can just use the good old Google machine. If you want to look up Dr. Luke Hobson, it'll pop right up or drlukehobson.com. I promise I am not the other actor. Luke Hobson, who stars in zombie movies and other movies about queens and other royalty things that I don't, that's not me. Uh, so if you see that person, <laughs> I'm the next one down on Google's uh, list as far as for that goes. And then, yeah, everything for the Institute, as you mentioned before too, there is a free trial for 30 days. Sign up. If you like it, awesome. Keep on going. If not, no hard feelings. It's all good. So awesome. yeah, so you can awesome. find me. Thank you so much, Dr. Hobson. I appreciate all the insight that you shared with me this evening. Thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about instructional design, the profession, and the Instructional Design Institute. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.